before you this morning. I am humbled and honored, um, grateful to Pastor Michael, Pastor Katie, anytime they give me an opportunity to crack open God's word with you all. And it's a special blessing to do so at this fertile soil that I call my home church. But before we get started, um, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer, um, because without that, I'll just be up here making some noise, right? Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain, so let's invite his presence even further. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to lean into your word. Father, I pray that you use it to transform us, that we will taste and see that you are good. Father, that you would allow it to convict us, challenge us, inspire us, call us to what you are calling us to become. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you've been here over the past month, then you know that we are at the tail end of a collection of talks all about the summer playlist. And the summer playlist is not just a group of songs. In fact, it is actually a tagline for those values, those principles, those guideposts that establish who we are as the body of Christ. And those things that we believe in just a simple statement that direct us to know who we are and who we're not. And if those who encounter us would recognize that there's something different about us because we govern ourselves in accordance with these. Pastor Mike gave me the opportunity to break open one that is honor is our choice. Honor is our choice. And in leaning into that and praying about that, the first thing that we're going to start with is actually the last word in that sentence because it leapt off the page, and it is really on which the entirety of my message hangs this morning. If you missed this point, you've missed it all. Choice. Choice. It is that thing, choice, that God has given us that distinguishes us from the rest of his creation. See, we are created in his image, and because we have been given choice, that means we're able to choose between what is right and what is wrong, what we should do and what we should not do. To be able to discern good versus evil, it is this choice to say it biblically that says, choose this day who you will serve. Or broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. That I have given you the power of life and death in your tongue, but which one will you choose? It is this concept of choice, and we see it ever since the Garden of Eden, right? In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he allowed this serpent to come into what seemingly perfectly environment and offer up to Adam and Eve this forbidden fruit, but that fruit really represented choice. And I need you all to track with me for a second because this is the linchpin on which the rest of this message is going to hang. They chose to eat that forbidden fruit. Interestingly enough, it was on a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't you recognize that if they were still given the choice, if they would have chosen the other path to reject it, they still would have had the knowledge of good and evil, but wouldn't have ingested evil itself. But they were given a choice. And, you know, early in my relationship with the Lord, I wrestled with this because I'm like, Father, you set them up. 
you entrap them. You have this beautiful garden. You say, don't touch that tree. And then the serpent comes in and he tempts them to sin. But what I recognize, and I need you all to follow with me, is that that choice is a gift of God. And that every day we're still given an opportunity to choose. You see, it's a, I got a lot of atheist friends. One of the questions that they constantly struggle with, well, if God is so good, then why is there this evil that is present? Why didn't he erect a perfect world where Satan couldn't come in and have even tempted them away from him? But that means my choice would be meaningless. God gave you agency so that you would be able to choose right and wrong, because if you don't choose right, then that choice is meaningless. If I'm only given one option, does it mean anything? I have to declare my love for God by rejecting everything that is not God. And so by giving us choice of good versus what is not God, the byproduct of an evil world is those that are choosing what is not of God. But he had to give us the choice so that we can choose him. Let me modernize it and put it another way, okay? I am married to a beautiful woman, and I chose her, all right? I chose her. Now, I had a lot of options. Am I right, Esther? I had, I had options. <laughs> At least one or two, maybe. <laughs> but I chose her. And on my wedding day, I said, and forsaking all others. What does that mean? That this love is significant because I chose you and because I chose the Lord. It's about choice. Choose, choose, choose. Honor is our choice. The other part of it is honor. If you look at the biblical definition of honor, you will find that, depending upon the version, you will find the word honor in our Bible between 130 to 260 times it is mentioned. And when you see a definition, it's much of what you would have expected. Everything from to esteem, to value, to put emphasis on. It's conveying significance and worth and deed. It is glory. It is weight. It is, is stature and influence, honor. To honor God is to recognize the essence and the superiority of who he is and give him the praise that is due his name. We also see it in relation to human relationships. It is to children, honor your parents. Wives, honor your husbands. Masters, honor your servants. There's this dynamic about honor that flows through from Old Testament to New Testament, and it is why it was selected as one of our values as a church, because it is essential in the lives of those who call themselves believers. It is critical. And so when I was thinking and praying about these sermons and this saying, honor is our choice, what jumped off to me was a familiar story in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John chapter 4, you know it as the woman at the well. So put on your seatbelt. We've got a lot of scripture that we're going to go through today, but I want you to stick with me because if you lean into this, you'll learn two lessons that I want you to learn. One is how we honor God, and two is how we honor others. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gathering and baptizing more disciples than John. And although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus 
tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So a little bit of context for this story, because what we're seeing here in this interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is extraordinary. Now, with our modern day eyes, we may not appreciate the significance of the fact that he even had a conversation with this woman. But if you do a little bit of historical context and understand the environment and who he was when and where he was at and who he was talking to, it'll become a little bit more clear. Now, it goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this point when the children of Israel were still a nation, right? And so you remember there were 12 tribes. They grew up. They came. They came into the, com- the conquered, the promised land. They took it over. They settled in the different regions in accordance with their tribes. And then you had King David. After him, you had King Solomon. After that, you had his children that started to let things go. And then we had a civil war where the northern part of Israel divided from the southern part of Israel. And the southern part is where Jerusalem and Judah was, the tribe of Judah, and that is where the temple was erected. The northern part, they chose Samaria. Notice, Samaria, from which we get Samaritan, to be the place where their kingdom would be. Now, you saw a line of wicked king after wicked king after wicked king in the north, and the Lord passed judgment on them, and they were conquered by the Assyrians. And you see wicked king, good king, wicked king, wicked king, wicked king, good king, wicked king, wicked king in the south. And they eventually were captured as well. And when we fast forward to where we are, that northern kingdom has started to intermingle with the Assyrians. And so what you get is a group of people known as Samaritans. Samaritans identified for the most part as Jewish and that they believed the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, but they were in the eyes of the Jews a half-breed. You're not real Jews. You got mixed up with some other stuff in there, and we don't like you. In fact, if you look at the region that we're talking about here, this is Jesus' journey. It's represented by this green line. He was going from Ephraim, going back up to the Galilee region, stopped at Sychar. Now, what I want you really to notice is this dotted line here. That dotted line is the path that most Jews and well-respecting Jews would take because they didn't even want to go through Samaria. Those Samaritans were nasty, they were vile, they did not represent the true and living God. In fact, they were worse than Gentiles to most Jews, because at least Gentiles didn't try to corrupt our view of who God is. But Jesus, interestingly, cut right through and stopped at that place where you see it's a well. What I love is, well, my wife and I had an opportunity to go to Israel this summer. This place has actually been identified with 100% accuracy where it was. Okay, they have mapped a number of historical spots, particularly those where water is identified or easy for them to find. Now, we didn't get to visit this because it's sort of in a conflict zone right now, but it is still to this day a place that you would go and visit. And there are still to this day individuals who identify as Samaritans. So we see, we see with that historical context, there's some cultural disdain, okay? They hated the Samaritans. In fact, now when you hear the word good Samaritan, you recognize that to a Jewish person, that's an oxymoron. There is no such thing as a good Samaritan. But this is the backdrop from which we're going to continue in our text in which we will understand what honor looks like. Let's pick up at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Well, for a second now, the Bible doesn't tell us her name. 
We don't know her name. They just refer to her as a Samaritan woman. In my holy imagination, I like to call her Renee, okay? Um, that's my wife's middle name, and so I don't know if there's any Renees in the room, but it's like, you know, she got an edge to her, okay? This is something about Renee. So in my holy imagination, this Samaritan woman, we're going to call her Renee. All right, picking back up at verse 9. So for the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you. I am he. I love this because Jesus is engaging in a spiritual conversation launched by a well, surrounded by water, and talking to this woman. And you can see there's a lot of confusion and a lot of misunderstanding. There's this mountain versus that mountain and all of this. But in essence, he is correcting her understanding about God. I think verses 9 and 10, if you all can throw them back up there, explain it well, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink. If you knew. Renee, if you knew who was talking to you right now, you wouldn't get caught up in all of this. Here's the, here's the first point that we need to take away. How can you honor a God that you don't even know? How can you honor a God that you don't even know? See, see, what we know about these Samaritans is that she's talking about this mountain and that mountain, where they were standing. Because we know geographically where it is, you could see both the mountain range where Jerusalem where the Jews were called to worship, and the mountain, Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans believed that they were supposed to worship. And what this woman was trying to do was engage into a dialogue with him to pull back into those historical disputes between Samaritans and Jews. That's where she was going. She was getting caught up in stuff that didn't matter. And then Jesus hit the nail on the head and said, if you knew 
who was talking to you. If you knew the gift of God that was right in front of you, you wouldn't be trying to satisfy yourself with a well that is going to run dry. But you would be asking me for something that was of much greater and eternal substance. If you knew who I am. The problem is that so many of us also really don't know who we're dealing with. We don't read God's resume like we should. Our theology is oftentimes intermingled with stuff. And much like this woman, we get distracted and major on the minors. When in reality is that if we really took stock of who we were dealing with, of who created the heavens and the earth. Have you read his resume? Who said, let there be, and life erupted. Who carved out the oceans and said, you can only come this far. That even at this moment, there are elders and angels and heavenly hosts surrounding his throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, if you only knew. But yet... But yet we look to all these other things when the God of the universe is available to us. Are y'all tracking with me? We have to choose him. We have to choose him. And I recognize he is unsearchable, inexhaustible. There is no way that we can ever scratch the surface in trying to acknowledge who he is and what he's done. But the reality is that if we don't lean into this truth, how are we going to be those that worship him in spirit and in truth? Listen, if we don't give him the honor that is due his name, the rocks are going to cry out. We have to do that. We have to choose. And I just don't have to give you biblical examples. The reality is that you can look at your own life and see the goodness of God and give him the honor that is due his name. You can do it if he brought you from a mighty long way, if he's rescued you from a sin-soaked past. If you only knew, if you only knew it's not in your 401K. It ain't right there. It's not in the degree that is in you. If you only knew, it ain't in that degree. If you only knew, it's not in that corner office. It's not in those 2.5 kids in that white picket fence. It's not in any of that because all of that is going to pass away. And that all remains is him and his perfect will. If you only knew, you'd be spending more time giving me the honor that is due my name. The name that is above every name. That name that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. If you knew who was talking to you. Let's go to verse 21. Let's go to verse 21. Because he was correcting her understanding of worship. Verse 21. Woman. Have you ever had those, mo- those moments when the Lord is like, woman. Where he has to be like, sir. Renee. Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. True worship. What sticks out to this is that Renee gets a pass. Okay, I'm going to give Renee a pass because Jesus had not yet been uh, crucified, buried, and resurrected and poured out his spirit on all flesh. He, he had not yet done that. But he said a time is coming. 
But I'm not giving y'all a pass because the time is here. Do we recognize the access and the availability that we have to come to God, to worship him in spirit and in truth? We'd only, I mean, you have to know the truth to worship him in spirit and in truth. We have to know that he is available. He's created a new and a living way through the crucifixion. He tore down the wall that separated us. And I think that in our modern day New Testament Christianity, we sometimes get a little bit laissez-faire about that. But the reality is that in the Old Testament methodology, you had to kill a goat, a lamb, a bull. There was only one person that was nominated to enter the holies of holies one time a year. And he had moments to be able to worship on the altar on behalf of everybody else. Jesus said, no, a time is coming where you will worship in spirit and in truth. That you can turn your car ride into a worship experience. You can turn the kitchen table into a worship experience. You can turn your office place into a worship experience. Your classroom into a worship experience. He is worthy of honor wherever you go. When I was, when I was 18, I had one of the most powerful worship experiences of my life. And you want to know where it was? Washing dishes. I had come to a point where I was graduating from college, I had applied to law school, I got abysmal scores on my LSAT exam, and I just was washing dishes in my mama's house, not my own house, I was washing dishes in her house, and um, I just started talking to the Lord. I said, Father, I guess I better be good, get good at washing dishes, because my hope of a future is gone, so let me just learn to scrub. And I encountered him in one of the most powerful ways at the dishwasher. And listen, my mama don't use a dishwasher. I had to wash my hand and put it in the dryer. That's all she uses it for. But right there, washing dishes. He met me so powerfully. It's till this day, one of those moments when he spoke purpose over my life. I had access right there at the kitchen sink. He's available to you. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. He had to correct this woman's understanding because it wasn't about the mountain. It wasn't about this place. He is available now because that time is now. Worship in spirit and in truth and give him the honor that is due his name. Okay, keep going, keep going, keep going. Uh, also, choose to honor people. This story isn't just focused on honoring God, but it's teaching us a lesson about honoring his people. Choose to honor people. Let's look at John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Skipping down to verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I love this scripture. I love this verse. I love the end of this story. And I love the disciples' reaction because this is real. Okay, the disciples had already been chastised by Jesus a chapter ago, so that's why they weren't talking about nothing. They came up with their food. They went to go get food, and it was like, are you going to say something? I ain't going to say nothing. Why is he talking to that woman? I ain't saying nothing. 
okay? They weren't going to say nothing to Jesus. But what we see in their reaction, and this is human reality, that it's, it's, it's easy to honor those who are honorable. It's not easy to honor those who might not yet be worthy of honor. This is what the disciples' reaction is teaching us. It's worthy to honor those that is honorable. I wanted to take a moment this morning and invite our pastors to stand up just for a second because they are worthy of honor. Can you give a round of applause for Pastor Michael and Pastor Katie because they are worthy of honor. They are worthy of honor. I have had many a meal and broken bread with both of them on more than one occasion, and I have probed their hearts and their love for this congregation. You all don't know the sacrifice that these two have made to be able to bring this church and the call of God over this body into fruition. But it is worthy of honor, and honor should be given where honor is due. I want to look at a scripture that really evidences this point. Let's look at 2 Corinthians, uh, no, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 through 26. It reads, as it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have an equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You see, what this is telling us is that honor is not just reserved for those that are worthy of honor. Those that are up here with preaching and teaching gifts, yes, they are worthy of honor and should be honored. But there is honor that is due to every single one that is a part of this body that is doing the work, even if they're not on special display. What does that mean? That means it's an honor. Can I get those who are part of the parking lot ministry to stand up? Because it is, it is hot outside, and it is an honor to have you do what you're doing. If you're a part of the children's ministry, it is an honor that you do what you do, because those kids don't always say thank you to you. If you're a part of the hospitality ministry, it is an honor for what you do. The production team that gets all of this together, it is an honor. Some people are here at 5 o'clock in the morning to make sure that this is transformed from a cafeteria into a worship experience. And they are worthy of honor. Give them honor. Thank them for what they do, because it is an honor. And, it's, and it's, it's easy for us to honor and extend honor to those that are worthy of honor. It's harder to give honor for those who are not yet worthy of honor. How do we honor those who are not yet honorable? But this is precisely what this Samaritan and Jesus encounter represents for us. This woman was there at high noon. What does that tell us? That tells us it was the hottest time of the day, and she was there by herself. What does that tell us? That she was a pariah, that she was an outcast. Even among Samaritans who had their own sort of religious hierarchy, she would have been rejected by her own and was there. And we learn, because Jesus speaks prophetically into her life, it's probably because of your scandalousness. You've gone through five husbands, and the one you shacking up with now, Renee, ain't your husband either. But Jesus 
didn't stop there and treat her like everybody else would have. What did Jesus did? He used the gift of honor by speaking to this woman, by acknowledging the humanity in her. He was depositing honor and giving a gift that transformed her entire existence. She went from being the town harlot to the town evangelist. Did you see what he did? He honored her, and that honor was a gift that transformed. He saw not just who she was, but he saw what God called her to be. Are you tracking with me? It's a powerful ministry, and I think that we sometimes take it for granted because we're always focused on the transformation. But what I want you all to recognize is that everywhere you go, every relationship you have, every conversation you get is an opportunity to deposit a seed of honor that can transform somebody's destiny. We should be walking and rivers of living water are accompanying us so that when we go into dry places like Samaria, shoots of green are coming up because of the deposits, because you saw somebody that nobody else saw, that you leaned into them, that you believe that they could be greater than what they are today. This is choosing to honor. Honor is our choice. It is our duty. It is our responsibility, and it is our ministry. I want to call to your remembrance a couple of examples, not just this. One of my favorites is Queen Esther. Everybody sees that she goes to an orphan, from an orphan to a queen. But do you see those vessels of honor that God surrounded her with to make that transition possible? Mordecai and Haggai, the keeper of the king's harem, honored Esther and saw her as a queen before she was a queen and poured and invested in her to make that, a, that an option. We see it with the disciples. They were a ragtag group of men. Jesus took and honored them and said, I am going to make you from to fishers of men and change them into a group that led a movement that transformed the world that is leading to the fact that we are in this very room till this day. We saw the apostle Paul. When we first meet him, he is persecuting Christians. But do you know Ananias? Do you know the name of uh, Barnabas, right? These two individuals that took Paul under their wings brought them into the fold because they saw the work of God and what God was going to complete in his life. And he is responsible for writing much of the New Testament. Have you seen King David? We all know about his amazing transformation, but do you see the role that the prophet Samuel had in his life? Do you see the role that Jonathan had in his life? Do you see the role that the king's army had in his life? The mighty men that even when he was out in the backwoods with the Philistines that nobody believed in him, they took off their armor, they gave it to him, and they anointed him king because they saw and deposited honor in him. You could be that to somebody else if you only choose to honor Honor is a choice. Do you honor your spouse? Do you see the good in them? They may not be 100%. They may have some falls. They may have some shortcomings. But do you honor them for who God has called them to be and who they will be? Can you honor that child? Can you get down on their level, look into their eyes, and speak God's blessings over them? Yes, they may frustrate you. Yes, they may annoy you. Yes, they may fall asleep when you're preaching. But they're worthy of honor. Do you honor that boss that gets on your last nerve? Do you honor that in-law that grates on your skin? Because in your honor, you could be transforming 
their very destiny. You can be holding them to a standard that they didn't believe that anybody else believed. Somebody believed in me and said, I believe that you can do this. And God uses us as vessels of honor and ambassador to honor others. I want to end with a story that was one that still reminds me today just the power of what that honor could be. I have a friend, and I'm going, to na- I'm going to leave her nameless, but just trust that she is a real person. And we came to know each other my senior year in high school and throughout my college years. A little bit of a backstory about this friend, just to give you a taste of how she relates well to this Samaritan. When I met this friend, she was having an affair with a married man who happened to be a professor so that she can get an A or a B in the class, right? This was the depth of where she came. But I honor her as my friend. I talked to her about this incredible God that I knew. I walked with her as I saw his conviction and condemnation and the conviction come over her and her redemption story. I walked with her as she developed an incredible, incredible, powerful prayer ministry and started a call at 6 a.m. inviting her friends and family, anybody who wanted to pray, to pray. I walked with her as it grew more and more, and she felt the call of God to go into full-time ministry. I walked with her as she started her own church. I walked with her as she led a citywide revival where over 100 people were baptized because I believed and what God was going to call her to, even though when I first met her, she was not yet worthy of honor. But through our friendship and our relationship and others pouring into her, she became someone worthy of honor. And that is what we can all do if we choose to honor God and we choose to honor people. Will you join me in a word of prayer? As we go to your throne of grace, Father, I want to invite this team. If, if, you, if you are in this room and you have not yet made the choice to honor God by giving him your life, if you have not yet drunken from the waters that never run dry, that bubble up and give life to eternal life, and you want to declare today to make this Lord, this Jesus that we're talking about, your Jesus, just slip your hand up. If you want to make that decision, Lift your hand up. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, for the rest of us, Heavenly Father, I pray that we will be vessels of honor, that we would be those who are willing to step out in faith and deposit seeds of life into those that you've entrusted into our sphere of influence. Father, I pray first that you would correct our understanding of who you are and who we are in you. Father, enlarge your territory in our hearts and our minds. Bring us back to a place of worship. Allow us to erupt in praise at the thought of your name. Allow us to join in with the chorus of the angels in recognizing your holiness and your worthiness of honor in our lives. And Father, as we become vessels of honor for you, I pray that you would give us ministries of honor that pour into others and are able to help transform destinies just as you have transformed ours. We thank you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.